Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. I'm very excited to say that today on the show, I am going to be playing an interview I did on video. Yes, we are branching out into video, testing the waters, as you say, because if you love our radio shows, I think you're going to love our videos. I see people coming and looking through their phones and they see things on the social media and they hit share button and share button and share button but they do it mostly for videos rather than audio files so we're branching onto that because we believe that our interviews and our topics that we're discussing are absolutely worth sharing and need to be shared so now all of you can see us as we broadcast live via zoom this is only for my show right now and we are going to be having amazing guests on our shows. It's called Solomon's Sword. And I'm doing this with my co-host, Lowell Joseph Gallen from the Root and Branch Association. It's going to be every Tuesday, 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Israel Time. And we are going to bring you, as I said, expert guest testimonies and more. And time allowing, you too can join us with your questions for our guests. This is going to be live. You are going to see us as we're taping. And it's going to be very, very exciting, I think. So you can register for this for free to get notifications when we go live so you'll know and you can choose, oh, yeah, I want to do that now. So go to our homepage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. At the very top of the page, there'll be a link there to click, which will take you to... Uh, the, the Zoom, which will give you the information that you need in order to register, it's all free. And then if you've missed a live show but you want to catch it later, you can subscribe to us on rumble.com. Just go to rumble.com slash user slash INTR. Or again, just go to our webpage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. There'll be a link there. You, all you need to do is click on it. It is going to be fantastic. I'm so excited because I think that when you see our guests and you also have the opportunity to be able to speak with them and see what's going on, you are going to love it. You are going to share it. I hope you will. And uh, this is just a new thing that we're doing. I'm so excited to be able to grow in this. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom, I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. We are here at the Tamar Yona Show, and we're going to be talking about the 
pandemic and all of the mandate restrictions that we're seeing. And we have our guest for today, which is Josh Getzko. He's a senior lecturer at the Hebrew University here in Jerusalem in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the Institute of Criminology. He holds a PhD from Princeton, and he had a postdoctoral fellowship in health policy at Harvard University. Josh is a senior lecturer in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the Institute of Criminology at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He's here to talk to us about the new uh, decision by our government to uh, give children in Israel from five years old and up the experimental mRNA injection in order to supposedly fight the COVID virus or the, the COVID that's going around. And uh, we're, ha- we're asking the question of health officials versus parents. Who knows what's best for our children? So welcome, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me on, Tamar. It's very um, good to have you. Please. So, well, I don't know. Um, I, first of all, I, I want to say that I'm, I'm not a, a medical doctor and anything that I say, you know, shouldn't be taken as medical advice. We'll say that I have uh, consulted extensively with medical doctors, scientists um, of all different stripes, epidemiologists, immunologists, um, pathologists. So what I, you know, the information that I have to bring and and share with people today is not just, you know, the, the, (laughs) it's not just me, the criminologist, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of people who, who, who share a similar understanding of the situation. And that, that understanding is that um, the, uh, the, the safety of these vaccines have not been shown uh, to any large extent. Um, I think it's interesting because you hear public officials and media spokespeople in Israel saying, well, the expert panel of the FDA said unanimously that the vaccines are safe and effective. But it's not true. That is not what they said. They had to, they were given, a, they were asked to vote on a very, very specific question, which was, you know, given the information that you have, do the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks? Okay. And they, now they voted yes, and it wasn't unanimous because one person uh, uh, abstained from the vote, and later he said that he didn't. He thought it was unnecessary, and there, we needed more safety data. But anyway, this vote, you know, is that do the benefits outweigh the risk? Is very different than saying that we know, you know, that they voted unanimously that these things are safe and effective, right? So just two different things. Well, what do they say that the risk is exactly? Are they saying the risk to our children's health and safety or to uh, the older people because the children are believed to pass it on to, to other people? Right. Well, so they're, when they talk about the benefits versus the risks, in principle, they're thinking more broadly about the benefits to other populations, which are theoretical, by the way, not, they don't know. You know, the the (laughs) Pfizer never did any studies that showed that there was any reduction in the ability of kids or anybody else to transmit the virus uh, if they've been vaccinated. 
Um, meanwhile, the CDC can't produce a single piece of information showing that um, that people who have acquired natural immunity uh, have ever infected anybody. <laughs> so if your kids are, have already had coronavirus, and by the way, it's quite interesting because the the Ministry of Health and in, in Israel doesn't know what percentage of kids already have had have acquired have had the coronavirus. They don't know. They're spending untold amounts of money uh, trying to investigate. You know, they did a survey of thirteen thousand parents on post corona, but they don't. They can't tell you what percentage of kids have already had. It's not that hard. You just do a sample of kids and you you check them out. I mean, so okay. Why did I why did I bring that up? Well. First of all, if, if your kid has already been infected, there is zero, zero reason to have them get vaccinated, right? And you say, okay, well, so take them down and do a serology test, right? To check their antibodies. But those tests, after a certain period of time, those tests aren't accurate, cannot accurately tell you if you have had immunity. You could have gotten, they could have gotten coronavirus in 2020, and by now, you wouldn't see antibodies, but they have T cells. They have other types of immunity, right? So the, even those tests don't really aren't really a good measure of whether the kids. So if you think your kid ever had coronavirus, forget about for, just forget about vaccinating them. There's there's absolutely no need, um, and I would argue there's no need if, if your kids haven't had coronavirus. Um, and many people, you know, agree with me. Was this brought up at all in the committee? Um, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. This was, this was actually interesting, right? Because one of the key pieces of information that the committee was asked to make their vote on now I'm talking, so I'm talking about the FDA, um, the ministry of health, the, they have a similar type of committee that, you know, of experts that, um, consults with them and they had kind of, they basically took the cost benefit analysis of the FDA pretty much at face value. They did, they did some other stuff in Israel, but you know, a lot of their decision was based on that from my understanding. Anyway, get, let me cut to the point. So this cost benefit analysis that they did, Oh, you had asked earlier about uh, if it's just about the kids. So this was the key thing. How many kids are going to end up in the hospital and the ICU for Corona versus how many would end up in the hospital and the ICU for myocarditis? Okay, and they're, they're like weighing these against each other. Okay? okay, and I just want to insert here that the myocarditis, why they're saying that is because this is one of the uh, main things that uh, children who are, and, and adults sometimes who get adverse effects, this is one of the biggest things that they get affected by is uh, uh, damage to the heart muscle. Yes, and it is damage to the heart muscle, and it is one of the few kind of um, adverse effects, uh, side effects mm-hmm. of these vaccines that is, that is acknowledged. I don't think that it's acknowledged to the full extent that it exists, but it is at least acknowledged. This happens, right? It's not like some weird, you know, wacky conspiracy theory or whatever. It's this is everybody agrees this happens. Yes, Josh, one moment. Have you heard the rumors going around now? And it might not even be rumors that uh, Israel is installing defibrillators around different playgrounds in Israel. In yeah. the, and some people are saying it's in expectation that some of these kids that are shot up might develop a heart attack while playing yeah i heard it's not a rumor it's it's happening i mean there was a a real you know 
article about it in the newspaper. I mean, not that we can believe everything that's published in the newspaper, but it, it turns out that the plan was put, was kind of put into place a couple of years ago, but it just yes. didn't, it never, wasn't you know, it, it, it never materialized, you know, yes. but now all of a sudden, this is, we're about to start mass vaccinating the kids. They're putting them up everywhere. It's a little, the timing is very odd. Yes. Very curious. Um, but uh, so going back to this cost benefit analysis, right? So if you want to know how many kids are going to end up in the hospital or ICU for coronavirus, after, this is, we're talking about the period after vaccination, right? Well, you need to take out the kids who already had coronavirus, because as far as we know, the chances of getting corona again and in any serious way that would make you go to the hospital after you've already had it, you know, is is next to nothing. So basically, these kids have already had coronavirus are not going to end up in the hospital again. Right. So you've got to take them out of your cost benefit analysis if you want to know how many kids you're going to prevent hospitalization you know, compared to those who might get hospitalized because of myocarditis. So they didn't do that. The FDA, the, the FDA didn't do that, which is, and one of the people you asked if they met, this was brought up in the, at the meeting. Yes, one of the experts asked the FDA spokesperson, did you take this into account? And what would happen if you did? And she said, it would lower our estimates of hospitalization by 40%. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's like, and there were all kinds of other mistakes. I don't even, I mean, I don't want to bore everybody, but it, it, just the absurdity, you know, and, and also with myocarditis, two things. One, two thirds of the, you know, in their cost benefit analysis, about two thirds of the cases of hot pe- kids hospitalized, expected to be hospitalized for myocarditis, about two thirds of them were expected to end up in the ICU, right? In the intensive care unit. And we're yet, talking about healthy children that parents are taking to be vaccinated or I shouldn't use the vaccine to be shot up with something that's experimental when uh, according to the data and according to Dr. Zev Zelenko children who get corona survive it by 99.998 percent survive it without any treatment now if they had treatment for it probably it would go up it would be 99.99999 right but we're taking healthy children and putting something that's experimental into their body and and even you're saying the health officials themselves are discussing the amount of uh cost uh, cost risk uh how many we can expect with that will develop now myocarditis, which is something that you could suffer from for the rest of your life, which means they wouldn't be able to participate perhaps in uh, sports or go to the army if they wanted to here in Israel uh, in in certain units, et cetera. We're talking about handicapping our healthy children where there's nothing wrong with them. Go ahead. Absolutely. And you know, you, what you hear immediately whenever anybody in the government or whatever on the media brings up the issue of myocarditis, you immediately hear, oh, well, it's mild and they recover quickly. But first of all, I, I don't know about you, but if I see somebody in the intensive care unit, that doesn't say to me that that's a mild issue, right? I mean, if you're in intensive care, that's not mild, I think, you know. We'll be right back after the break. Shalom, everybody. 
Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. I am Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and Country. From Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. You know, we don't know, we haven't studied what the kind of after effects of this myocarditis are over a long period of time. They don't have enough data to be able to say with any degree of certainty that this is short-lived and mild, right? And that's also, they always say in the majority of cases, okay, well, what about in the minority of cases? If you, you know, if you want to go there. Plus, they also conveniently always forget to mention that according to the Ministry of Health, their own data, the own papers that they've published, There were two deaths in Israel linked to myocard- this myocarditis after the vaccine. So how do you go two around? Deaths, two children, you're saying, two died. Teenagers. Or two, I don't know if they were all, they're both teenagers. One of them was a teenager. One of them a much. And this is reported in the papers that they published in these journals, right? And it's like, well, wait, how can you on one hand say, you know, well, if you're going to tell parents that it's mild, you, you should also tell them that two kids died because that's not mild. There's no such thing as mild death, right? And a mild case of death. So there's just so much, you know, fog around this issue. It's really, it's really sad. And of course, you know, they didn't even take into account any other bad effects from the vaccine. And I'll give you an example from their own data. Okay. The CDC started this program with these new vaccines. Okay. It's called, oh, now I'm forgetting. I think it's called V-Safe. Okay. And basically it's an application. You download it to your phone. When you get the vaccine and then it gives you, it pings you every day or so to fill out a short questionnaire about your side effects. Okay. So we did a, like kind of like a, an extrapolation from that data. So there's like some percentage of kids, it's a small percentage, but some percentage of kids that, that notified on that app that they, um, or teenagers, I should say, that they were in the hospital within a week after getting vaccinated. Right. And don't you think that the CDC, based on its own data, its own publication, its own application that it created for this, don't you think that that should be taken into account when they're making a cost-benefit analysis? And they didn't. They just completely ignored it as if it didn't exist. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> it, it's, it's just absurd. And by the way, if you do that cost-benefit analysis just with that data on the hospitalization, over like a six month period, you see that you're going to end up with more kids in the hospital than, than, uh, than you're going to keep out of the hospital. Uh, so based, on- based on what you just said. Now, I know that you're a senior lecturer in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology and the Institute of Criminology Correct. at the Hebrew University. Knowing what uh, you just said, that the CDC has this data, knows about it, And yet they are, the, the governments, the United States and now Israel is saying, this is, this is our next project, what we're doing. Is this a crime in any way? Can you fit this any way with uh, criminology or not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, first of all, there's, there's a, a concept in political science known as regulatory capture, right? This is the idea that the regulatory agencies become captured by the industries that they're supposed to regulate. And so they, they essentially aren't exerting the type of oversight or power that they need to be to protect us from 
these corporations. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing is that, you know, Pfizer, if Pfizer was a human being, we would define, we would, we would uh, categorize Pfizer as a career criminal, right? Pfizer, since, you know, the last 20 years has racked up over, well, see, I want to say six and a half billion, but now I'm not sure. Maybe it's four and a half billion. I think it's six and a half billion dollars in fines. Um, some of them criminal fines. Pfizer paid the largest criminal fine of any company ever for fraud, okay, for medical fraud, um, and all kinds of other things. That, you know, Pfizer has hidden uh, data about its uh, the dangers of its products from its customers, from regulators that it knew about, all kinds of stuff like this. Okay, so it's not unreasonable to view Pfizer as essentially an organized criminal, like a criminal organization, okay. Um, well, and some fact, people call the pharmaceutical companies, they call them drug pushers. They're drug just pushers, professional yeah. <laughs> drug pushers. So, so on that note, what yeah. you're talking about, that they, they have data and they know that uh, we found out that a lot of the mRNA uh, effects in the, the spike proteins uh, develop or, or they kind of like uh, congregate in the body in the ovaries of females and some say now also in the testes of males. And how, how do you, uh, what data do we have? Let's talk about data, not what we just think. But what data do we have that this could possibly affect fertility in the future? Okay. Um, can I just close one corner with the previous thing we were talking about? And just Please. to say that there's a kind of a general uh, description of what crime is, okay? And it's force or fraud in the pursuit of 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 gain basically right so if if all you know if the pressure the apparent pressure that pfizer is putting on the fda the cdc the ministry of health you know it, it is is for it can be viewed as force or fraud in the pursuit of the gain you know it, pfizer's own benefit then it then it then we can call it a crime even if you know it's not you know on the law books you can't point to it and say aha you've violated this you know, this code, it still can be considered a crime in, in criminological terms. Okay. I'm really glad you brought up this issue of the um, aggregation of the, so it's the studies that have been done haven't shown an aggregation of the spike protein per se. They've shown an aggregation of the liquid nanoparticles that encase the, um, the MNRA, the, 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 the MRNA, the spike pro, well, the mRNA goes into the cells and it has the cells start producing the spike protein, yes. right? So the LNPs, the liquid nanoparticles, encase that mRNA to kind of keep it stable and allow it to get into the cell. So um, Japan asked Pfizer, and it's kind of absurd that Japan was the only regulatory, you know, company whose regulatory uh, country, whose regulatory agency actually asked Pfizer to do this. But they asked Pfizer to do a bioaccumulation study um, where, you know, once you inject this stuff into, uh, into the body, where, where, does this, where does this stuff end up, right? Because we know already, that it, it, at first they said, well, we put it in the muscle and it stays in the muscle. But they've done research now. They did research on nurses. They checked their blood after they got the vaccine. And, and for many of them, it was circulating around in their blood. So we know that it doesn't stay in the muscle, Right. So it's in the body. Where does it go? Well, based on the study on mice, what they found is that it accumulated in many different organs. 
it began to accumulate. But for most of the organs, it was cleared um, pretty much within, say, 48 hours, except for the ovaries. For whatever reason, the ovaries uh, stayed and accumulated, and then they, they killed the mice before they could find, after about a week or so, I, I believe it was, um, and they, they, you know, before they could see how long it actually stays in the ovaries. And there was, there was another paper when they were kind of investigating this technology that showed, they did, a, this was some years ago, they showed uh, that, yeah, the, um, this, these liquid nanoparticles, for whatever reason, are attracted to or intend to accumulate in um, a t- uh, hormone-producing uh, organs like the, uh, the ovaries and presumably the testicles. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it accumulating in testicles, but it wouldn't exactly surprise me. Do we have any information? Do we have any data that this could harm fertility? Well, in those rat, in those mice that were part of the Japan study, um, they, they did find that there was, a, they, they found that the mice that got the shot were twice as likely to have these, um, you know, I, it's been a while since I looked at this particular paper, but there was evidence from that study that the, um, that the, the mice that got the shots were less able to, you know, get pregnant or have carry pregnancy to term. I I forget the exact nuances of that. Um, Was that difference statistically significant? We, we, it's hard to know. They didn't, they didn't say anything about it. They kind of tried to, you know, brush it on the carpet. So there is a little bit of indication there. Of course, what happens in mice doesn't necessarily apply to humans. But, you know, I think one of the big things that we really need to be concerned about is um, the reports that we're getting from the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System in the U.S. on, um, uh, uh, you know, people having uh, menstrual issues, uh, vaginal uh, and ovarian bleeding. Um, they're having all these problems. They have problems with um, uh, with ovaries and with um, uh, fallopian tubes and all kinds of stuff like this. And what I did this research. Yeah, I can't share my screen, can I? Uh, yes, you can. Just a moment. I'll make sure. Go ahead. Start talking, oh, okay. and I'll. Okay. All right. Great. Yes, so go ahead. Try it. Try it now. I did this research where I share. I basically what I did was I. Um, sorry, I'm trying to get to my this document here. So basically, what I did was I compared um, <clears throat> the. This is okay. So I took the CDC has a methodology. All right, for testing or examining the safety of um, new vaccines. Okay, like these new vaccines or whatever you want to call them. They're, I mean, technically, right, they're actually gene therapy products. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another part of the absurdity of this whole issue is that um, if you look on the FDA website under a gene therapy product, these vaccines classify as gene therapy, gene therapy products. It doesn't mean it's going to change your DNA. I'm not saying it won't, but that's not what gene therapy products means. What it does mean, though, because it has RNA in it, it's considered a gene therapy product. And in 2020, um, Moderna notified its shareholders that, um, hey, we've got this product. The FDA considers it a gene therapy product. We're not sure they're going to license it as a vaccine or, or fast track it as a vaccine. So you guys need to know about this. So they admit that it's what you know, was considered a gene therapy product. And yet it was not 
dealt with. Like gene therapy products are, they take even more care with them than they do with regular medicines, let, let alone vaccines. Um, because it, based on their experience, they can, they can cause problems, cancers and stuff years and years down the line. So, you know, if you want to try to get a gene therapy product to market, it can take up to 15 years of, you know, careful testing and looking for long-term effects. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. So anyway, we got this new vaccine. How are we going to compare it to, how are we going to look at the safety? We've got this system, right? The Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, which was, VAERS. right, VAERS, created by the FDA and the CDC um, to, as a kind of uh, early warning um, system. Um, and how, how do they, how do, how do you know if, if there's a, if there's something you should be worried about? Well, you compare the new vaccine, the reports you're getting for the new vaccine, to reports that you got for the for an older vaccine, a vaccine that's well established, you have a sense that it's safe, right? And, and you know its safety profile. So I that's what the CDC does to test them. So I took their method, tweaked it a little, but I took their method and I compared um, the safety of the um, Pfizer vaccine to the flu vaccine. Okay, so what are we doing here? I'm taking, I'm, 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 I'm calculating a ratio. It's the number of reports that you get per million people vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine divided by the number of reports that you, that they got from the last five years since like 2015 for the flu vaccine. Okay. So I'm creating a ratio. And now if that ratio, if that number is one, that means that per million, you know, per vaccination, they're getting the same number of reports as they got for the flu. Okay. If the number is greater than one, then they're getting more, more reports per vaccination um, or per person, per person vaccinated. And if it's less than one, it means that they're getting less reports. Okay. So what do we see when we look at these numbers? Okay. So what, you know, what might you expect to see if, you know, maybe it's a, a little bit more, a little bit higher or something like that. But what we see here, I'm going to, okay, let me go, let me look at this. Okay. Now, the other trick here is who do we compare this to? Because the kids didn't start getting vaccinated until very recently. So they don't have a lot of reports in the VAERS system. But Pfizer has said 
that the safety profile of the vaccines for the kids is most similar to the safety profile that they saw in the 16 to 25-year-old age group. So we can look at that age group and compare how many reports are they getting for the, for the Pfizer vaccine versus the flu vaccine that they got in the last five years per person vaccinated, right? And here, I, here I'm looking at 16 to 24 because, I, whatever, I couldn't calculate it up through 25, but it's basically the same difference. So here are these ratios, right? And so what we're seeing is there's like 100 times more life-threatening um, uh, incidents that are being reported for Pfizer than were reported for the flu vaccine. 79 times more hospitalized, 45 times more permanent disabilities, 151 times more deaths, 73%. So 73 times more um, serious events being reported. Now, you asked a question about fertility. So look at this, all right? These top, this top box are different categories of reports. They're not a specific type of report there. All of this has, is very, um, this reporting system is, is, is very um, formalized. So there's a formal system of, different, of a hierarchy of different categories. So I looked at kind of these broader categories. So you have these Pfizer ratios, these, these ratios that are just huge, right? Um, problems related to endocrine disorders of gonadal function. Gonads are our sex organs, right? 2,098 times more reports per million vaccinated than the flu. Menstruation and uterine bleeding disorders, it's almost 2,000 times as many. And there you can also see a comparison to the teenage group, right? Um, but though, again, Pfizer said that this should be safe like, this, like it is for 16 to 24-year-olds. Uh, vaginal disorders, reproductive tract disorders, and then you've got the ovarian and fallopian tube disorders, and the, there's no number there. It's just an infinity sign. And the reason for that is because in the last, since 2015, there were zero, zero reports of ovarian and fallopian tube, dis, fallopian tube disorders for the flu vaccine. Um, and so, you know, a number divided by zero is, is infinite, right? There, <laughs> you can't compare it because it, it doesn't exist. And, and, you know, you've got all kinds of other disorders, the white blood cell disorders, which is a problem. There's, there's research showing that there's a short-term drop in your, you know, immunity and your, your white blood cell counts following immunization with these, with these vaccines. So let me ask you, right, what sense does it make to vaccinate a kid in the middle of the flu season um, if the vaccine is going to reduce their short-term immunity, ability to fight off the flu? It doesn't sound, that does not sound like a good idea to me, right? Because no. we know that the flu, at least, you know, we can say is dangerous for kids, much more so than the, than the coronavirus. So, so this, these reports, right, and there, there are other reports related to, uh, you know, sexual function and stuff like that. But, but for me, these numbers are very, very concerning, right? And, of course, what you'll hear them say is they'll say, well, oh, uh, but then they get better. The bleeding stops, the menst menstrual thing returns to regularity, which I don't know if that's true at all. I mean, at first they denied any connection completely to the vaccine. Right? You had reports, women in their like 70s and 80s reporting that they started getting their period again. And they're like, and their re response was, well, there's, it's stress, you know, and we know that stress can cause women to have menstrual bleeding. And so all these people are just, they get the vaccine and it's very stressful and they start bleeding. I'm like, 
no, sorry, not buying it. And do they have this data that you're presenting here? Yes. Yeah. They, and who, they're who still they? deciding. So they how do they justify about? their decision to then go out and start a mass vaccination program like this oh, with our youth? Oh, my God. Kids. Look at this. Okay. I have this slide here on the, this, this data here on this slide is a little bit out of, out of date here, but um, on this side, on the left-hand side, it's, it's the number of deaths reported to VARES per million vaccine doses for all ages for the last 10 years. Okay. So, you know, people say, oh, well, yeah, there's an increase in reporting because there's more vaccines being given out. Well, this, this shows that that doesn't matter. <laughs> there's still, and if you account for the number of vaccine doses, you're still getting way more death reports. People say, well, people are hysterical. They, they're connecting, every, you know, Dan Ariely is big on this. They connect every, everything that, ha- everything that bad that happens to them, they connect it to the vaccine. Well, the CDC actually, and that's a great way to just hand wave away all of these concerns and say it's nothing, but it's, that's not a scientific approach. And the CDC actually has a method that they developed to test exactly that hypothesis that there's a kind of, they call it stimulated reporting. People are, and the idea is you look at different types of adverse events compared to a previous vaccine. And if the increase over the previous vaccine is approximately the same across a bunch of different adverse events, then that's a sign that it's stimulated, that people are hysterical, right? But you can see here from this table that that's not the case. There's, the numbers are all over the place for different types, of vac- different types of adverse events and different ages. So it's clearly not the case that most of this, I mean, maybe some of it is coming from, you know, stimulated reporting, you know, maybe 20, you know, but, but not all, you know, most of it not. Okay. But you asked specifically, do they have this data? Well, this is, <laughs> this is publicly available data. The CDC has this data. They have a, a program to analyze the data using a similar approach to what I've taken here. None of those reports have been released to the public, by the way, but here's the really absurdly shocking thing. Okay. So that the Ministry of Health has this committee, the Tatam Committee. I forget what the name of it is in English, but it's basically like an expert committee that they convene to consult with them. And that was the committee that, um, you know, suggested that we start the vaccinations and then, and then everything, you know, went from there. And in a hearing in the Knesset uh, last week, the head of that committee, right, was told uh, by none other than Moshe Feiglin, he said, what about the 16,000, it's now, it's now over 18,000, by the way, what about the 16,000 deaths that have been reported to VAERS um, for, you know, the coronavirus vaccines? And the guy said he had never heard of it. The head of the expert committee had never heard of these death reports from VAERS. Never. Like, it's a... <laughs> I mean, some people say he's lying, whatever. I don't know. He certainly looked uncomfortable when he was answering, but, but you never heard of it. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's absurd. So I don't know what they're doing with this data, right? I mean, I wrote this article, there's a link here, right? Uh, safety signals for COVID vaccines are loud and clear. Why is nobody listening? And the answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. What it is. I mean, I have ideas, but I don't know why. So we're all trying to make sense of this. Here again, you're saying that they have this data and they're already expecting myocarditis to develop in children who get 
this shot. I apologize. There's a helicopter going around here and I don't know if it's over the mic. Okay. And so they're, they have this information. They're already expecting that they're going to be seeing children being brought to the hospital for myocarditis. There are other reports in Bayer's, by the way, of children within 24 hours after receiving uh, this shot in the United States. This is all from the United States because this, we're only starting now here in Israel with the children, but they're saying that there are other side effects like blindness even happening to kids that get this injection. This was an interview that we have adapted for audio listening. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, log on to our webpage at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and look for the video under the Tamar Yonah Show. You can be part of our live audience for our future interviews on video. Just send an email to info at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and we'll send you a registration link where you can register for free. We do our live video podcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 5 p.m. Israel Time. That's every Tuesday, 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Israel Time. Hope to see you there. You've been listening to the Tamar Yona Show here on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 